It was like my Edison light bulb moment right there when I realized what an impact it is to have music so fast as a music pastor who is trying to create worship services on a week-to-week basis. You know, it's just a constant demand. Sunday is always less than seven days away. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio. And Aisha Woods, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and musician. Together, they talk with artists and industry insiders to discover our connection between music and faith. You can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Aisha. Welcome back to Between the Grooves, or welcome to Between the Grooves, if this is your first time. We love coming up with uh, conversations with people in the music industry, the Christian music industry, and uh, we often talk to artists, people behind the scenes, and today we're going to have a chat with somebody that, uh, well, it's it's not one of our usual conversations, if I can say that. Am I right, Aisha? Yes, you are right, but this guy is uh, definitely a veteran, and... He's provided a great resource for churches and worship leaders and pastors alike. I'm looking forward to chatting with Mr. Ryan Dahl. Yeah, Ryan is the founder and CEO of Praise Charts Publishing, and they are celebrating 25 years this year. Um, and if you haven't heard of Praise Charts, that's where you go to as a worship leader to get chord charts for your musicians, for your band for your singers. They also have many free chord charts and MP3 downloads that you can grab off of their site. And given the fact they've been around for 25 years, they've had to shift the way their business operates, too. And that's a really interesting part of this conversation that we're going to get into with Ryan. So let's get into it now. Ryan from Price Charts on Between the Grooves. Yeah, sounds great. You can hear us okay as well? Yep. That's That's awesome. So, Praise Charts, 25 years old. Did you you ever think... Congratulations. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. you. Did you ever think it would last this long? No. In fact, I barely thought I would last a couple of months in the early years. I mean, my dad, my mom, my uncle, my brother, everyone was looking at me going, well, what are you doing, Ryan? Seriously? Like, get a real job, you know? So, Hmm. fortunately, when I started, I had a quote-unquote real job, and I was able to just do this on the side, and nobody really cared. But as soon as you give up all the protections of, you know, normal uh, work life, which I did uh, about three or four years after I started, then, uh, you know, then your neck's on the line. Like, if this doesn't work, now I am re- have a wife, I've got three kids, and my wife is pregnant, mm. all these sort of personal pressures And slowly, I am giving up more and more of my access to, like, having a job. It's like, I don't know what else I would do anymore, especially in 2004, 2005. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, I am basically unhirable now. (laughs) It feels like that because I don't. I don't know anything but praise charts, so I'm I am all in. All my eggs are in this basket, and it was terrifying. Probably for the first 15, if not even 20 years, often thinking, am I going to make it? Like, are we going to get mm. through next year? Uh, so that's the life of an entrepreneur oftentimes, especially those that 
don't just jump from business to business. And I, I haven't. I'm just a one business guy. Um, you know, I only had one thing in me that I was really passionate about. And I went for it. Here I am. So still pressing on. <laughs> and what was it like? This this was pre-internet. So how did it all work in the beginning? Yeah. Well, like the first charts that I ever delivered was uh, me taking a song and taking it to the photocopier. And I mean, I did this with permission, so it was legal, but I, I was literally my own printing station. <laughs> I, you know, bought the little manila envelopes. I licked those envelopes. I wrote the the uh, address and put the stamp on it, and sent the music away for whatever $12 or $18 that I was going to get for that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, there's one sale today. Let's look for the next one. And so it started, so it started very analog, very pre-internet. And then mm -hmm. I had this genius idea. Uh, it was one day when I was a worship pastor, I needed music. It was a Tuesday night. I had already started praise charts, but it was a Tuesday night, an hour before worship practice. And I had one more song I needed and I called my arranger. I didn't have time to drive to his house 20 minutes away to go get it. And I said, what if you fax it to me? And when the that rolling scroll of fax paper from the late 90s came rolling out of my office and started curling up all around the floor and I had my music in 20 minutes and I thought oh my goodness this is it was like my Edison light bulb moment right there when I realized what an impact it is to have music so fast as a music pastor who is trying to create worship services on a week-to-week -week basis it's a very unique need that we have as music pastors because um you know, it's just a constant demand. Sunday is always less than seven days away. And and there's a constant need to stay fresh, to stay current, to stay vibrant, to feed this kind of flock, your church, with something. And um, so I kind of caught the vision then initially through facts. And then, uh, and then you know, PDF, that's kind of a, a format that we deliver digital sheet music through. Uh, so we we uh, kind of learned that technology eventually, but it slowly incremented through all the different technologies as the internet came on, and uh, I was kind of fascinated by technology and music and you know the church and ministry and songs. There's so many elements of praise charts that were swirling around in the late '90s that that just caught me off guard. I was like, I want to dive into this and explore this world. Hmm. So. Did you ever get music requests of stuff you didn't have in your library? Yeah, certainly I had that. And then there was a major pressure because I wanted to do this legally. So there was all these incredible songs that I wanted to host in my catalog that I couldn't because right. I didn't have um, copyright permission for. And so it was a long, long journey of trying to gain the confidence of these big corporations that were a lot of them in Nashville, initially seeing me as like a subtle annoyance uh, and then starting <laughs> to see me as potential competition. Uh, so I had to go through all these phases with these companies to get through to a place where they would trust me and, and find me as an ally and not as a at worst, an annoyance. 
or even worse than that, a competitor that they wanted to squash out. So um, that was a challenge. Are you are you a musician? Also, I yeah. heard you say something about that earlier. Oh yeah, for sure. I was a I am a, I was a music pastor employed in a okay. church for about ten years. So to that extent, I'm not like a recording musician. Although I do right, have a right. s- couple of songs on Spotify, so if you look me up, you'll find me. But that was just <laughs> yeah. uh, me dabbling with my country three chord singing father. We made an album with him, and so that was fun. But uh, mostly, nice. I know how to play guitar. I know how to play piano. I know how music works. I'm very musically involved in charts that we produce. Um, yes. Like this morning, I was listening to a amazing new recording that we're making for Christmas and giving feedback to our producer, you know, as far as like tone and presence and all that kind of stuff. And and when we do Sweet. full orchestrations, I will pace through every measure and be like, this chord is wrong. That note is missing. You know, mm-hmm. this lyric mm-hmm. is not quite right because I just want it to be perfect when we put it out to the public. So, yeah, I'm pretty invested right. in that. That's when, nice. So your songs are on on praise charts, your original material. <laughs> yeah, I do have a few. I have dabbled for sure. <laughs> cool. Were there originally any at any time any bricks and mortar as far as praise charts is concerned? Oh, oh yeah, actually. So it took us about 20 years and then we bought an office uh, so it was about a 1500 square foot place that there was only three or four of us in that office. Uh, I had like a programmer and a customer support person and a publishing manager and myself. Most of our staff is scattered all around the nation and a few are even international. So I don't have a need for a big office mm-hmm. and I never have had a desire for that kind of corporate life. Just me personally, the way I'm wired, I, I don't need or want that kind of you know lifestyle and and i've discovered in the last 20 to 25 years there has been an opportunity for people to craft a legitimate work lifestyle that doesn't you know demand driving to work and you know going up an elevator to a big office and and just doing that kind of office life so so I've kind of steered around that for the most part, but uh, we bought an office and then COVID hit and, um, you know, that took a big hit on praise charts for sure. We climbed out of that sure. and then just decided to move our office home. So I'm like, now I've raised four kids. They're all 22 to 27 years old. They've grown up wow. with praise charts. Now they're out of my house and we live in a house with, you know, three or four bedrooms and I've converted a couple of them to offices and I should show you, maybe I'll send you a picture of my office now, but it's a, it's a very sophisticated, you know, studio. I've got like lights and monitors and keyboards and microphones and instruments hanging all around. It's my dream location. And (laughs) I literally, I mean, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm just sitting in my shorts and T-shirt right now with a hat on. I haven't had a shower yet (laughs) talking to you guys and nobody needs to know, but I'm letting you know that (laughs) this is the world I'm living in. So I think it's it's the the dream life that a lot of people would have uh, even pre-COVID, the whole COVID, you know, work from Mm -hmm. home thing uh, just kind of pushed that 
push that forward a lot more that that people could do that if if their you know if their employer would let them to. to yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah sure. there is a challenge i'll say this is people that work from home you have to work at finding ways to build camaraderie and community because we're human beings we need to not just be isolated in our you know perfect right. little studio rooms so even with us every two weeks i get my core local staff and we get together in a home, sit in a kitchen table. We talk about our personal lives. We muse about different ideas together. We have lunch. We door dash lunch. And I am like resolved to just keep that uh, in our rotation because I yes. really like these people and I want to see them face to face. I want to feel their presence. That's really important to me. So I'm not just siloing off in my little you know cocoon uh i'm very much a social person (laughs) so back to praise charts uh 25 Mm. years um Mm -hmm. and and again you said right in the beginning that you were kind of shocked and and amazed that it went or it's gone so long um Mm -hmm. and and starting from you know just mailing stuff out down to the fax machine and now of course with the internet I guess uh, when when the internet first started, was it kind of like a an email thing? Because back then there wasn't no download links or anything like that. These days you can just go online, right. register, and then have an account, and then just grab whatever you want, get it real time. But I guess back then it was more of an email thing. It definitely it started like that, and I was just emailing. That like the progress from fax to email to internet was. I started by faxing charts. Uh, to customers. And then I went to WinFax, which was like, it was faxing through the computer. Right. So I would do that. Then I discovered those little files that were on the computer that were like the fax files. I could just send those via email. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of went to sending a, a better form of a file. And then the massive breakthrough, I want to tell you this, is this was the moment of praise charts is when I paid this little, this friend of mine, he spent a couple of days and created a little piece of code that could deliver the PDF, that could deliver the file that had the music automatically after you made the purchase of the transaction. So I could literally wake up the next morning and find out how many songs had sold and were already delivered. So that nowadays is like normal but back in 2003 that was mind-blowing to think that something could happen while you're sleeping and so um that was a pretty significant breakthrough so with that breakthrough were you Mm -hmm. able to immediately determine the busy days you know because because you're not necessarily going to get a lot of uh, traction on a Saturday, maybe on a Sunday, That's last right. minute stuff. But like, did you find that Mondays were really busy where everybody's scrambling to get music now to prepare for the next Sunday? Well, the irony of busyness in an industry like I'm in is because the computer is doing the work of delivering the music. When you say busy, it might just mean that people are consuming a lot of music on a certain day. And I know exactly now, I know what the rhythm of uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday Saturday is, but that doesn't determine my busyness because I'm working 
with a machine that's doing the busy work. And then my right. work is pouring into this thing, which is kind of like disconnected on a timeline. Right. For example, just to put it to the extreme, nowadays, the work that I'm doing is largely work for like we're working on Christmas and we're working on, you know, the five year, the 20 year plan, the right, you know right. larger, much larger things all the while. Now, every day I love to wake up and go and find out what happened last night or what happened yesterday. But that's not because of the work that I did. It's because of the work I did in the last six months or 12 months or three years. Sure. So sure. even disconnected from praise charts or music publishing, it's an entire mind shift of how you think about work and production when you're working mm -hmm. with uh, systems of automation and, um, you know, and, and digital technology, all of that. The work is still the same. It's just busyness is different. I can go golfing tomorrow and I'll sell the same amount of music as if I sit in my studio and toil away for 12 hours. But if I right. do that for eight months straight, eventually the thing will erode. And so um, mm -hmm. my mind, I am a kind of a creative uh, entrepreneurial, innovative kind of, I'm a thinker, I'm a dreamer. So, you know, some ideas will come in the shower or even on the golf course or wherever, and then I'll come back and want to apply those. But it's, it's not like waking up at 8am and then, you know, licking stamps and photocopying music. And I've got all this stuff to do because it's Tuesday and all these music pastors have practiced tonight and I've got to get music to them. That's, that's <laughs> right, not right. how, the busyness uh, works. But if you're interested in in the rhythm of the week, uh, Tuesday is the biggest night of the week for Praise Charts as far as selling music. It's like a Monday, Tuesday, really? Wednesday are the crest because that's when people are rehearsing their Prepping. choirs and orchestras. And then interesting enough, a specific type of music called a chord chart, which is just lyrics and chords. Sunday morning. Has a high, Sunday yeah, morning, has a right? High, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Last minute. Sunday, I was going to say, <laughs> or Saturday. It. Yeah, Saturday night uh, or Sunday morning. So different types of music have a different weekly rhythm to them, uh, which sure. I find quite, quite fascinating. When people buy the chord <laughs> charts, I guess they can buy in whatever key they want, correct? Oh, yeah. You can buy it whatever key you want. You can even edit the chart. Like if you want to change... I want to do the verse one twice and I want to skip the chorus and then do the bridge or, you know, adjust the chords. We have a little editor. Mm -hmm. You can't like change the whole song, but you can, right. you know, you can modify it. And I, I encourage churches often to be like, take the song. The chart reflects exactly how it was on the album, how you listen to Recorded, it on Spotify right. or Apple Music. But then think about where are you going? Who are the people? What's the environment? What key do they want to sing it in? You know, how many times do you want to repeat various sections? How much time do you have yeah. in your service? Are you doing it loud Just or quiet? Mm -hmm. So many things. So um, I love to do that myself is, is personalize a song to your own situation. And Praise Starts certainly allows you to do that. And if you come for the pentecostal side of things just repeat the chorus three <laughs> yes. times at the end right yeah, yeah. three or thirty one of the two or thirty so. exactly <laughs> that's awesome 
where where do you see praise charts in the next five years like what will you be doing differently um yes. from what you're doing now that's a that's a great question um what what we're trying to do with praise charts right now is make we're, we're trying to make it so that music pastors don't need to think about where can i find the next great song they just it's just gonna be there it's it's just something they need to pick you know to to flow through a list of really well chosen pre-selected or pre-promoted kind of songs that are great great things that they can uh, select from and then not have to worry about copyright or photocopy permission or, or or even how to get that music to their musicians we're building a system that all their musicians will be able to tap right into and the music will just be available they'll just pay a, a regular you know kind of monthly fee which will be incredibly affordable and uh and so we're trying to make it almost so that praise charts disappears into the background and music is just available it just flows that's kind of like my ultimate dream for uh for praise charts. Does that kind of make sense? <laughs> what about sure. what about creating a playlist? Everything from the, if you want to call it the beats per minute uh, scenario to keys and progressions, that sort of thing. Because yeah. I know you guys are integrated with Planning Center as well, aren't you? Yeah, we absolutely do that. So if you would have asked me five years ago, what are you going to do in the next five years? I would have said, we're going to make tons of playlists. And so we have currently in Praise Charts has about 1,200 different lists on every theme, every tempo, every beat, anything you can think of. You can type it into Google and put Praise Charts at the end of it. You know, like give me the top, whatever, the top fast songs by Hillsong at Praise Charts. If you put that into Google, it's going to send you somewhere that's reasonably relevant inside of uh, praise charts. So we're constantly making lists. And then here is the beautiful thing is all of those lists are not static. They are dynamic. So they're constantly in flux, uh, reading the new trends every day, every week, every Good. month. So for example, if you're going to go to top, um, top songs for Easter, uh, it's going to be based on the music that has been released, of course, this Easter. So not the people, <laughs> but our systems are looking at what are people looking at? What are they downloading? What are they getting? The whole site is this constant flowing river of activity. And then mm-hmm. when you come to Praise Charts at any day, it will be different every day. And the people make it happen not not us not the programmers not the editors not the selectors right. we're not pushing any music we're reflecting uh real-time activity and i think that breeds trust in our customers because they're like man all the best songs keep coming to the top of the list how do you do that that's awesome. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's the work we've put in yeah Given the fact that Praise Charts uh, turns 25 this year, can you can you look back over the last 25 years and determine trends? Like I, I, I would assume in the beginning you would have seen a lot of the because there was less music available. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably would have seen a lot of the same sort of songs being 
requested mm. by churches versus now where there's just tons and tons of music out there. Mm-hmm. Um, right. A- like anything from, you know, you know, it was a Chris Tomlin era in the first 10 years as an example. And then, you yeah. know, you see the Hill songs and, and some of the other large organizations, um, Maverick City and whatnot coming into yeah. play. And then even, even with the style of music, like maybe it's a Phil Wickham style music versus a Chris Tomlin. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a very interesting trend that I am noticing right now. I mean, this trend is, it's so current, and it's not like it's never happened before, but two of the hottest songs that are just brand new and trending right now in Praise Charts, one is called Trust in God, and and, and that's by Elevation, and another one is called Plead the Blood by Corey Carnes and Brandon Lake. Both of those songs have very clear um, uh, hearkenings to old hymns. So Trust in God brings in the blessed assurance, you know, this is my story, this is my song, those kind of lyrics, which I'm sure you will recognize. And so it's a modern song. It's not the old hymn, but it's brought in pieces of history. And then Plead the Blood is nothing but the blood of Jesus, and it's got these sort of melodic hints at the old hymns. So an interesting thing that I am recognizing as as we progress into the future, artists, songwriters, worship songwriters are recognizing people don't want to leave the past behind. It's like they want to move forward and carry their heritage with them. And... um that song, Trust in God, right now, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a song in praise charts take on so dramatically as it is right now. You can go to the homepage and listen to a preview of it and see it probably at the top of some of our lists. So, yeah, that's just blessed assurance and, uh, you know, some of the old hymns. So, um, and it's different than, it's not just... Uh, some of these worship writers taking a hymn and kind of making a modern version of it, like different chords or something, they're embedding the hymns into a brand new song and creating something new. But there is a feeling of heritage and history inside of it. So I find that pretty fascinating. And I think what a lot of worship leaders would do in scenarios like that anyway is to sing the new version, but just to keep the to appease the old folks, if I can say, yes. in the congregation is to transition into the, you know, into the original hymn, which would drive, right. which would be yeah. like phenomenal for the young people because they may not even know the old hymn, but they would think, wow, this is a great song, not knowing that it's yeah. been around mm-hmm. for a million years, right? Yeah. Right. However, I had a unique experience. I led Blessed Assurance uh, at my church, a, a modern version of it uh, that was put out by the band called Cain. That was a big hit in Praise Starts in the last month. So I took it to my church. And the drummer, mm. who's like an 18-year-old kid, he comes up to me and he's like, man, that's a really great new song. Where did where did that come from? He had no idea. And it was just blessed it's assurance. It's right? young man. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So uh, I would say even the young people, if the songs are arranged well and and presented well, they can be very attractive even to a young generation who who discovers that deep down inside they want some of that depth they want some of that um you know longevity to music there's a reason why we've been singing blessed assurance for a hundred years 
It's because it's a great lyric and it's a great melody. And Mm -hmm. you can't just, they don't just come and go. Those songs come and stick, right? So Yes, yes. You know, it's funny. We um, just yesterday in church, we did, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I got a song by James Wilson. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, blessed assurance, Mm -hmm. the exact same lyric, Jesus is mine. And then it goes into um, something else more modern and, but like you said, those lyrics stick, that melody yeah. sticks, and there's the yeah. familiarity, and yeah. it ministers to every generation that's yeah. in the congregation. Yeah. Um, I will definitely say this. I want to put a plug out, because uh, even you mentioned this, that you know we do it to cater to the old people, but I think we need to move beyond that mindset of the hymns and the the music of our sort of cultural heritage is actually for young people it's for all the generations it's not just catering to you know to them so even that's just the way we talk about it and the way we the the mindset that we have is i'm here to lead us all into a time of of worship and some of the old people aren't even going to know that we're singing an old hymn they're just going to think do i like the song or i don't Um, (laughs) And it might be a hymn, and hopefully we do it in a way. And that's the trend I'm seeing even with Elevation and Bethel and uh, Cody Carnes and Brandon Lake. Some of these big songwriters right now are recognizing that the hymns have something to say even to the young modern generation. And so they're writing those lyrics and those melodies into these new songs almost hiding them like Easter eggs in there so that nobody knows, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's a new creation. So I find that fascinating. Right. But it's the simple melodies and the components of the song that are recognizable by, you know, people that have been in the church for many, many years uh, mm-hmm. that helps, uh, especially the fact if it's something really simple but a powerful message that, that helps the worship leader lead people people into worship because yeah. you want to make it easy for people, right? You don't want to have these yeah. complicated lyrics or complicated right. melodies. Mm-hmm. melodies. You, want to, mm-hmm. you want people to join in as quickly and and as, you know, 100% as possible versus, you know, some of those other more complicated, whether it's an upbeat song or whatever else, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's in an, yeah. a very distinctive role that a, a worship pastor has or a worship leader the purpose in their singing is to engage, you know, hundreds or thousands or dozens or whatever of, of fairly intermediate level musicians. The goal is, what can I do to raise up the voice and the sense of participation with them? As opposed right. to a performing musician, that's not really thinking about that. They're just thinking, how can I put on a great show, a show. and, and mm-hmm. have them mm-hmm. think how great I am? So... Um, so that's a mind shift. It's, it's something very different. Uh, a worship leader is not just a performer. I mean, sometimes right. we perform elements in our songs, but ultimately we're thinking, how can I get the full engagement of all of these people that are sitting in front of me that don't want to just sit and listen? They want to engage. How can I lift mm-hmm. up that voice? So. Way back when, Aisha, I, I, as you know, I led worship, and um, yes, I, I tried to make it easy. Like, f- for part of it was, if I sing an easy song, it's easy for me. 
<laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's also easy for the congregation. And I, right. I love singing harmony. I love singing tenor. And so my goal was to be able to start a song because I'm the leader, right? If yes. I can start the song, and especially if I have got a backup team behind me with at least one strong singer that can sing lead, um, I would start the song. And maybe it's just the first couple of bars. And then I'd point to the backup singer, you're on lead now, and I'm jumping into harmony, because I want to worship too, you know? Right, yeah. Right. So I, I think the best worship mm-hmm. leaders are the ones that don't necessarily have to sing the whole time. Right. Maybe they just start and end the song, and then the rest of the time they're exhorting people to worship or whatever else, yeah. you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. But with music these days, it's I think it's so much easier to do that, even with newer songs, because, oh, sure. you know, like you said, with the trust in God and the plead the blood and, and whatnot, it, it just makes it easy for for worship leaders. In fact, yeah. you know, praise charts overall, you know, just to give you a little plug, just makes it really easy for the worship leader or the worship pastor to do their job, um, especially mm-hmm. the planning stages of it. Yeah. I think, and part of my motivation in that of making it easy is so that they can have more time, more emotional space and and headspace to pastor their people, to shepherd, to, right. to do the thing. Like what I like to do is sit around, we were talking about having coffee, just having the time and having the mental space to to connect, to engage, to be human. And we're hoping that we come alongside and ease the burden of finding the music. I mean, some of our our higher level charts, we're taking 10 to 12 hours just on one song to get all the parts, you know, written out just for the piano vocal parts. It's very complex mm-hmm. work that would overwhelm a worship pastor who has to do that sure. times six songs every Sunday morning, right? So right, if right. we take some of that burden away, they can hopefully reinvest some of that time into the human element of what it is to be a minister in a church. That's uh, mm-hmm. certainly a, a motivation for us. That's awesome. Ryan, how is praise charts different from song select? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I would first of all, I would say the people at CCLI and Song Select are great friends, and I have such great admiration for the work that they've done. I would sure. say that Song Select took a position of trying to just get a basic kind of lead sheet or a basic chord chart onto the internet and copyright, uh, make it copyright legal so that people would have a like I say, a basic version of all these new songs that the publishers were bringing in. So they kind of do this uh-huh. um, relationship with the publishers to, to distribute and make those songs available. Praise Charts tries to take it up another level and go, okay, now let's create charts for the real, you know, the musicians in your church who want to know how to play the piano part, or they want to know what the you know, how to do the vocals like they sound on the album, more technical Mm. kinds of elements, how to get that rhythm, how to really dial that in. I don't think that Song Select has that core passion to really be the musician's resource. They're more like the song promotional engine. Uh, I hope that I'm not, you know, downplaying the value that they have because a lot of people are like, listen, just give me the five chords. I need the lyrics. 
show me basically how the song goes and we're good to go. We'll just mm-hmm. make it up on stage and invent our own way anyways. And and there's <laughs> thousands and thousands of songs available. With praise charts, mm-hmm. it's more like I got a choir, I got six vocalists on my team, I've got four, you know, or five in my rhythm section. I have an orchestra. Yes, I yes. need music. I need like right. intentional. I need to know what the intro is. I, I I can't be wondering what to do at Wednesday night worship practice, or we're going to spend six hours on one song. So, sure, so sure. Um, we are more of the Got musicians, the uh, you know, and then yes. uh, even as far as the chord charts, now we sell a lot, a lot of chord charts, but I take time and my staff takes time to make sure they're the right lyrics, the right chords over the exact syllables they're phrased well. Uh, everything's laid out. We edit and re-edit and re-edit many, many times to make sure they're mm. right. If they're wrong, we go in and correct them. Uh, I do have a lot of customers or people that will come to me and go, I know when I come to praise charts, it's going to be right. And if it's not right, they're going to fix it, right? Sometimes right, with right. song select, people are like, I don't know. Sometimes it's hit and miss. Uh, right. the, the chords aren't always in the right place. And, um, I, you know, I'm not trying to diss my competitors because I appreciate sure, and love sure. the work they're doing. But we're trying to be, I don't know, I don't know if it would be a fair comparison to say, like, there's McDonald's and then there's, like, the steakhouse, right? Well, McDonald's is a very <laughs> great business and a lot of people need that to get through supper. Right. But if you want a meal that's really well prepared, then you're going to come to the, you know, the steakhouse, right? You may pay a little bit more, uh, <laughs> but we're putting a lot more time into um, into what we do. So I like to think that is what uh, distinguishes us. We don't reach near as many people as Song Select does. Uh, I, hands down, they mm-hmm. have the majority of the eyeballs but uh, I care about the details of the songs and the arrangements. And sure, um, sure. we're trying to reach people who and care about the things they care about. Yeah, sure. yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. With the people that you have on staff, um, how, how many are involved in the technical behind the scenes as far as programming is concerned mm-hmm. versus the people that deal on the... Uh, you know, getting the songs, getting the permissions for the songs, and I guess, mm-hmm. like like in radio, administrative. We, yeah, administrative mm-hmm. uh, part before the even before you can even offer the song online, there must be royalties that you have to pay, or at yes. least have a have an agreement in place and how it's going to work. How does that math all work? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I do have I have a full time <laughs> publishing manager who she's the girl. We go to her house every other Wednesday to have lunch at her table. She's one of my closest friends and cares so deeply about all this music and worship. She's a great singer herself and is very well connected across Nashville with all the publisher heads and that. So she mm. takes care of making sure we have permission and the relationship. And those publishers are emailing her almost every day, feeding her. We got new songs coming down the pike. This one's releasing next Friday. This one's releasing in a month. So now she's got this relationship where they are feeding her rather than her chasing after them. 
So that's that side. Then I work with a full-time uh, developer on our staff who is who it works in the office in our home. He comes to our home every day. And then he works with a programming team that we contract out. So there's probably about four or five guys that are constantly working on the back end, having nothing to do with music and everything to do with code and, you know, just making it so that it's a clean fast experience when you bring up praise charts you want those songs to just populate you expect that sheet mm-hmm. music to just display you expect that song to just download all of that uh that is so simple on the surface is incredibly complex under the hood and everything is a custom built sure. system under the hood so so we have that and then i have a whole team of uh, i have a full-time orchestrator uh, a part time. I thought you were going to say an orchestra. Part-time. I have a full time orchestra. They're just no. standing by with all their instruments to play <laughs> this <right>. stuff. <laughs> no, no. Bring in no. the strings. My, uh, my orchestrator, his name's Daniel Galbraith. You'll see his name on many of our charts. And so he just sits at his desk. He's basically raised all of his kids sitting in an office similar to mine. And he just pumps out orchestrations day after day after day that I feed him My and I'm goodness. like, hey, do this one. That Before you do this one, can you just do this one? Because this one is, oh, now we got, you know, uh, feed the blood or plead the blood. That just is peaking. So I'm constantly in communication with him as to what to work on. And then some t- we also have some piano vocal arrangers that will create the piano vocal charts because usually our system is we'll make a chord chart, we'll put it live, test it to see what the demand is like. Then we will upgrade to piano vocal, test that to make sure there's enough demand. And then the best of those go to orchestra. And then I've got a team of multi-track guys. So one guy is just electric guitar. He gets fed by my keyboard player. So the keyboard guy will write out, make produce the keyboard tracks, send them to the guitar guy who lives 5,000 miles away from him. And then that gets sent around, <laughs> sent around, and then ultimately it goes live. So there's this whole network, about 25 of us. We all have different roles. Probably the only person that doesn't really know what he's doing is me. <laughs> because I'm like, where do I fit into this whole machine? Everybody's got something to do. And uh, I, I, I like to think I'm important. Uh, and they tell me sometimes they're like, we do need you. We just don't need you today. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, we <laughs> need funny. you for the, the bigger picture. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. You need somebody like That's that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Certainly an eye opener as far as, you know, the usual conversations we have. We often have artists coming on talking about their careers and how they started out and, you know, things that are happening in their in their world. Uh, but yeah. we don't really get a chance to as much uh, take take a look at you know stuff behind the scenes because the average person going to church wouldn't know anything about praise charts, right? No, this is this is the world of worship leaders, worship pastors, things happening yeah. in the church, right? Yeah, that's right. All they know is that their worship pastor is showing up on stage and he doesn't really look that stressed. Right. He hopefully looks fairly confident, fairly excited. Uh, so that if that can happen, then praise starts. It's doing its work. That's yeah. what we want. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Um, That's great. Well, listen, Ryan, thanks so much for hanging with us. And, uh, this was fun. Thank you very yeah, much. Had a blast. All right. Take care. Okay. Good stuff. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Check out praisecharts.com to get all the info and to be a part of all the exciting things happening with Christian music in your church. All right. Let's go to some artist advice from this cool cat that's been around for a little bit, too. Mr. Talkbox, Byron Chambers himself. Advice to new or old Christian artists, continue to just be authentic, you know, stay authentic to who you are. Try not to play this uh, uh, industry game because it could become a game. It could become a thing of uh, mechanics, you know, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. that, You know, whichever way you get to where you need to get to, you do that. But I would just say, you know, just Stay authentic as possible. Pray, first and foremost, pray, pray, pray. Keep your relationship with God first place. That is the very key thing. Keep your relationship before anything else. Make sure you locked and loaded with the Lord. And uh, uh, the good steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And so uh, just try to be ordered by God and and, and stay authentic. That's, that's, That's a piece of advice I'd like to give. Be authentic. Coming from a guy who has stuck through with his talk box instrument, there's really no one else doing it. He's he's very unique. Exactly. So and and so like it's coming easy from for a, him to be authentic. That's, that's right. It's easy for him. <laughs> yes. You know what? And one thing that that I know to be true about Byron um, is that apart from his authenticity. He does have a very real, evident relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his music. It shows in through his personality, and you know, he he is in relationship with Jesus, and it can tell. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. If you listen back to the conversation we had last year with Mr. Talkbox, Byron Chambers, uh, you will hear that very evident in that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And you can listen back to any previous episode of Between the Grooves wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for hanging with us today, and we'll see you next week. For listening to Faith Strong Today's Between the Grooves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it with your friends, rating our podcast, or giving us some love on your socials to your amazing friends and followers will only help us reach more people. We'd also love to hear from you and share your feedback in an upcoming episode. Send your video or written message to Aisha and James on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves or email us anytime. Hello at faithstrongtoday.com. 